Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Running Hooks Basketball Power Hour. I messed up the first time, a rare take two from Alex Burr, a man who does not admit <laughs> his defeats well. I'm just kidding, otherwise I wouldn't be admitting there was a take two. Yeah. I am joined by my very good friend, Caleb Lynn. Caleb, um, we're here today, today to discuss the trade deadline. No curveball today, it was such an action-packed day. Um, <laughs> just like... I was working today. So what was it like in real time? Cause, and you were off. What was it like? I was off. What was it like to be able to just sit and watch how crazy this deadline was <laughs> headlined by the Celtics sending two, two second round picks and bull bull and PJ Dozier to the magic. I mean, that's the biggest trade that happened all day. That's the biggest trade that happened all day. I mean, I was literally in awe when that deal went through. I was just like, oh my gosh, like what this does for Boston to get into the luxury tax. Like, are you kidding me? It was just so awesome. You know, so I was, I was excited. I was excited to, to, to see that trade. And, and obviously there is a yeah, <laughs> plenty, plenty more, plenty of player movement, plenty of player adjustments. And, you know, I'm excited to see kind of how it all unfolds. Yeah, it's going to be crazy to see how this, like the Eastern Conference in particular, it didn't feel wide open. I'm not going to say it feels wide open still because I think Milwaukee came away with what they needed today. Like they probably could have used another wing, but they really just needed another big man and they came away with that. Um, Obviously, you know, if you know anything about the NBA and you've been paying attention to it at all, you know about Simmons for Harden, which is going to be the first thing we discussed. Um, yeah, and that's like two of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. The Nets record doesn't show it, but that's two of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. Two title contenders making a trade with each other. That never happens. <laughs> and I feel like it was a good trade for both sides. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Um, I, I mean, Caleb, do you just want to go ahead and hop right into the Nets? I mean, it's a crazy yeah. trade. So, it's, okay. it's, it's a crazy trade. I mean, you know, the, the, the way that it all went down, um, was just, it was nuts. I mean, you know, everybody talked about it for months and months, but then, you know, everybody was like, well, what's that package going to be, right? What is that going to end up? Would Dybul, would Maxi, would Curry, would Danny Green, would Andre Drummond, would, I mean, <laughs> all of those names and maybe more, Alex, you know, we're, we're mentioned from the Philadelphia part of it, uh, but, you know, and ended up with Ben, Seth and Andre and, um, you know, some, some first round picks and a couple with protections, but, you know, I, I think from the Brooklyn side, um, you know, this was a move that I, I think, I think in the short term, in the short term, you know, I, I'm, I'm not crazy with it. Uh, but but I think that what it does for them in terms of lasting their championship window is is what really that's what I didn't focus on when it first happened. But I've looked at it more later on. You know, I mean, I, I sometimes forget how young Ben Simmons is. I forget that he's still got years left in the league. And, you know, a guy like Curry with his elite three point shooting is massive for any team, you know, and obviously those first round draft picks, maybe they look to do something within the off season, but looking at it from the Brooklyn side of it, you know, I think they did it 
to not be stuck in a one-year situation like Kawhi and Toronto. They said, how about we try to make that championship window maybe four or five years? Yeah, that's exactly a good way to put it. Let me read off the particulars of the trade before I delve into it any further. The Nets received Ben Simmons, Seth Curry. You alluded to the Brooklyn package of it, basically. Andre Drummond, a 2022 first-round pick with the right to defer until 2023. An interesting detail. A 20 and a 2027 first round pick that's top eight protected and the 76ers receive James Harden and Paul Millsap. I, the reason why I think this is a win-win for both sides. So Harden was going to hit free agency for the first time ever this summer. I don't believe he's ever been a free agent. He's been extended when he got traded from Oklahoma city to Houston. He signed an extension. You know, he signed an extension after like he signed the Supermax extension after he won the MVP, if I'm not mistaken, and he's never hit the free agent market. And he was leveraging the fact that he was going to hit free agency this summer to get to Philadelphia where he wanted to play. So I, in my opinion, that was pretty smart of him to use that leverage. And it was pretty good of the nets to get something instead of nothing. Now I will say, Caleb, my, I like James Harden a lot, right? Like I've defended mm-hmm. his game a lot. I haven't, you know, you've listened to the pod, you know, I haven't defended it as much this year. Um, it's just weird to me. You realize it hasn't even been 13 months since the last Harden trade. The last Harden trade happened on January 16th, 2021. Obviously last season felt like a sprint, not a marathon, but just like put in perspective, like how fast the last three seasons have been in terms of just calendars. That's he was on Houston in January, 2021. And now he's on his third team in 13 months. Like for a superstar of James Harden's caliber, that seems incomprehensible. And obviously, you know, player empowerment. I don't, you know, I don't really care to get into that discussion because I feel like there's a lot of nuance that gets missed. And frankly, we have too much to discuss to get into the nuances of the discussion. Um, but I think that it's not a good sign that James appeared to have quit on Brooklyn. I really don't think that's a good sign. And Caleb, I think it's fair to wonder if he'll do the same to Philadelphia. Well, you know, Alex, again, as I'm, as I was prepping for this pod, um, thinking about these deals and seeing what was going on and all this jazz. I mean, I still think Harden's going to hit free agency. I still think he's going to hit free agency. He's going to take that player option, and I think he's going to hit free agency. I think there is no question in my mind. There is no reason he wouldn't do that, Alex. There's no reason he wouldn't. He he He's going to have the same leverage either way. He's going to have the same leverage to Philadelphia either way. Philadelphia's going to offer him the same deal regardless. And when why wouldn't he just look at the market? Why wouldn't he? Like, I think, I think they are. And if you're going to pay him what, it seems like the, the money's going to be, you know, looking at here, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, is, I mean, we're looking at 37 years old, 50 plus million dollars. We're looking, at, we're looking at a huge amount of money. And I mean, just you can follow James Harden's career and understand he will want as much of that 50 million as he can get. It has been his entire career. That's been his entire MO. And Alex, I really believe it's not to say like if I, you know, off the top of my head, part of me is like, well, yeah, he's probably going to stay at Philly, but I'm not ruling out the fact that he will stay with this team the rest of the year. And because he has opted in the next season, he will play with this team next season. 
But you can, there is no guarantee Philadelphia makes the Eastern Conference Finals in the next two years. Absolutely not. With Milwaukee, Miami, and Brooklyn, potentially with the mandates and all that other jazz, there's no reason, Chicago, no reason that those teams cannot get into those slots. And it's possible Philadelphia can miss the Conference Finals for two years in a row. And do you think James Harden is going to sit there and think to himself, man, I want to go back to a team that didn't reach the Eastern Conference Finals and wasn't one of the two best teams in my respective conference. I'm just saying, like, I I think that part of it's intriguing to me. It's a fair question to ask. I mean, they automatically, they're going to finish with the first seed because they were, this is my prediction, right? Because they were playing so well with just Joel having like a Russell Westbrook-esque usage, right? The 2017 famous Russell Westbrook MVP season. And they're like the third seed right now. Just absolutely ridiculous stuff from Joel. Mm-hmm. And basically, they're adding a free player. If you want to just take the context of this season, they basically traded Seth Curry and Andre Drummond for James Harden, which is a ridiculous statement on its face, right? Yes. And Seth Curry's been amazing this season, right? I'll, I'm really interested to see how he does in Brooklyn. We'll talk more about that later. 50% of James Harden is better than 100% of Seth Curry. That's just a fact, right? However, Harden hasn't always been the most, uh, (laughs) he hasn't had the most illustrious playoff career, let's say. Mm -hmm. He's not exactly known for being, for clutch moments, right? Like, can you name a clutch James Harden moment off the top of your head? I can't. No, not off the top. (laughs) Yeah, like I, I thought of the 2012 Spurs series, which was 10 years ago. And when I can't think of anything more recent than that, he had two chances to put away the Warriors for better or for worse. They, it was three superstars against one. Four, if you want to count Clay. I don't think Clay is, was a superstar, and Draymond obviously is on this precipice. <laughs> but he didn't put them away. He didn't put the Warriors away. Last year, he I've got to give him credit. He got it out. You know, he played a lot of minutes on a bum ankle. Doesn't change the fact that he didn't show up. In game six or seven, yeah. you know, yeah. he hasn't been this bastion of clutchness and Joel Embiid in the playoffs. Like he's Joel Embiid. If we're just going off the regular season, Joel Embiid is the best player in the NBA. But there's a reason we don't use the regular season to determine who's the best player. And that's because Joel Embiid, he was really good in 2019 when he had a team around him. Right. 2020, there was no reason they should have been swept by the Celtics, none, because they had Joel Embiid and they didn't win a game, right? Last year, Ben gets a lot of the blame for that series. Joel deserves some of it too. I'm not saying he was, you know, I'm not saying it was all his fault. (laughs) And I'm not saying it's all Ben's fault either. There was a lot of reasons why they lost to the Hawks, right? They couldn't stop Trey Young. That was probably the biggest reason why they couldn't, you know, Danny Green was hurt. Everybody has excuses, right? But... Joel Embiid isn't, you know, MJ in the playoffs. He's not Kareem. He's not like Shaq. He's not a guy that raises his le- He hasn't been that, right? Not to the level. I mean, Jokic obviously has a lot less playoff experience. But I want to say Jokic has appeared in a couple fewer playoffs than Joel and has won as many series. Don't quote me on that, but that seems right. <laughs> and Jokic has had significantly worse teams around him. So... I'm just not sure. And also, you know, don't even get me started on Doc Rivers in the playoffs. <laughs> it's like a a choking job. Made, like, it's like a choke match made in heaven. Almost. I mean, am I crazy for thinking that? 
No, I don't think you, I don't think you are because when, when we're looking back at those rounds and what happened in those rounds, you know, they have had great teams that have folded when you didn't think they would fold or you would think would give them greater games. I, I personally don't hate, I, I don't hate that you said that. I think there's a lot of postseason stuff that this team has to answer. Daryl Morey was supposed to be and, and is the guy in charge to try to answer some of that questions. You know, they went out, they tried to make all these deals happen. And this is a time where Daryl Morey has to prove what a lot of people believe he is. One of the best general managers in the league and person who just simply wins trades. Well, win the trade. Winning the trade means winning the in my personal opinion, Alex, I, I don't you're I don't think you're going to like this, but this is my opinion. Winning the trade for the Philadelphia 76ers means them winning the NBA championship either this year or the next year, because it's not going to matter after that. No, I listen. You said it's, it's you not, thought I wasn't going to like it. I agree 100 percent. It's a complete and total failure if this team with I mean, yeah. right now, Joel Embiid and J- James Harden are both top 10 players. Harden's not in his prime. Joel is in his prime. Yes. And Harden is not very far removed from his prime, right? People were saying he should have been an MVP candidate last year. So, yes, I agree with you unequivocally. If they don't win a championship the next two years, it is a failure. And Caleb, I think it's fair to question whether or not they, like, I don't think they beat Milwaukee in a series. I don't. No. Like, I think Milwaukee, like, even with Milwaukee just adding Serge Ibaka, Right. Like that's so I feel like they had more margin for error than the Sixers do who gave up their second best player. Like I know you're a real big fan of Maxi Kale, but I think Seth Curry's comfortably been their second best player this year. And I know that you probably aren't gonna want to play Curry, <laughs> Maxi, and Harden. So and obviously you want to keep Maxi in that equation. Yeah. But Tybal can't hit a three to save his life. No. Right? No. Um Danny Green. Listen, he's it's his percentage says he makes 38% of his threes. I'm pretty sure I haven't seen him make a three since 2019. I don't know why. I just feel like I haven't seen him make a three since 2019. Uh, I feel that. And you know, who's their backup five now that they traded Drummond? Drummond, like, I hate on Drummond. Drummond was playing great this year. <laughs> like, he yeah. really, like, off the bench, he was killing it for them. And yeah, I bet you Niang starts making a ton of threes. Mm-hmm. I bet you Korkmaz's percentage goes up. But do you trust those guys to get you to hit the open three in a game seven? I don't. And that's the that's the simple bottom yeah. the simple fact of the matter yeah. where I don't trust this team. And you know, Millsap is fine, but Millsap yes. kind of was showing his age in Brooklyn this year. So I <laughs> Caleb, I I just don't think this team has what it takes. And I think it was a fair risk for Maury. Cause that's what he's all about, right? He's all about yeah. the stars. Yeah. But what you said is absolutely right. If they don't win, it's an unequivocal failure straight. That's there's nothing else to it. So here, here's how, here's how I look at this, Alex. I mean, if you start really cracking down the rotations and I mean like cracking down the rotations in the sense of, you know, guys are going to be, um, you know, fully healthy. Okay. And, you know, teams from an overall standpoint, get healthy. Right. So I'm talking like, you know, pretending in a world where Joe Harris is healthy, okay? When I'm cracking down the rotation a little bit, I guess, you know, obviously Philadelphia's got those young pieces, okay? But, you know, I got Kyrie Irving, okay? It was, it was good. I got Seth Curry, who's good, okay? I got Joe Harris, who's a 40% three-point shooter, okay? I got Kevin Durant, and I got Ben Simmons at the five. I can do anything I want with that lineup. That's a really good lineup, 
Now, I think the the backcourt has some concern on defense, but that's a good, solid crunch five. And then I look at it from Philly's crunch five. Philly's crunch five of James Harden, probably. Correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, in your opinion. James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, a Tobias Harris, maybe a Thibel or Green, and, and then I'm throwing Embiid in there. Now, I, to be honest with you, Alex, when I look at the benches, this move, I think, might be good in the sense of, I think, I think Philly's depth isn't as great as what I would think it should be. When I look at their bench, like I feel like their bench should be better. Now, maybe they can go get something in the buyout market and whatever. But like when I think of the construction of these teams, I would before this trade, I would have looked at the rosters and been like, well, yeah, probably Philadelphia's got the better depth. I mean, crap, you know, you don't have to die, you know. You didn't trade Thibel, you didn't trade Maxi, but do they really have just significantly better depth than the Nets right now? No, no. And that's, that's embarrassing to me. Like that's to me, you got it. To me, they, they went in, did a very, they're doing something very similar to what they did when they picked up Butler in the sense of they're trying to get this team set with a good loaded two, one, two punch. The third punch, I mean, Alex, I don't ever have to ask you about Tobias Harris. I know how you feel about him when it matters. And I know how JD feels about when it matters because you talked about it last week. But in all seriousness, I I just think the gap in the East is what's going to be really fun. There's no reason. Uh, there, there's no reason teams like Chicago really didn't do anything in the deadline still can't get to the Easter Conference Finals, in my mm-hmm. personal opinion. And that's, that's going to make for exciting basketball, Alex. Really, really exciting basketball. I think Cleveland matches up really well with with Philadelphia. Mm. They have three. Like I know marketing's not on the level. Sure. No, no, no. <laughs> like I mean, no. It, it goes without saying. Yeah. But who's the dynamic? Like, Okoro's a really good defender, and if I was going to drop a guy to defend James Harden in a lap, I'd probably drop Isaac Okoro, right? Sure. And whatever he's not bringing you on offense, he will bring you on defense. He's Absolutely. that good. And. Okoro to me is going to be like one of those guys who I think Cleveland against Philadelphia, I wouldn't favor Philadelphia. I'd probably have that as like a seven game series. Like, you know, maybe you favor Philadelphia because of the experience, but Mobley is that guy, you know, like I've been talking about it all year. You know, Mobley's that guy. Um, Jared Allen's a really good defensive center. Jared Allen. I've seen guard and bead really well before, right? Like when he was in yeah. Brooklyn, Obviously, last year was just a wash for the Cavs because they suck. But Jared Allen's a really good defender. I don't think the Cavs, like, the Sixers can throw Tybal on Garland, right? But the Levert trade, which we'll talk about later, gives the Cavs another element. And then you go to the Heat. (laughs) The Heat, I think, I would favor the Heat pretty easily against the Sixers. I don't really think I don't I wouldn't think twice about that. Yeah. Like they have they're so much more dynamic, right? Obviously, they don't have a score on the caliber of either Embiid or Harden. But Jimmy is an incredible player. Lowry is an incredible, you know, table setter. Bam yes. Adebayo is one of the best defenders in the league. Yes. Um Duncan Robinson, you know, whatever you have to say about him. Tyler Hero showed an incredible amount of growth in year 3. Yes. There's just so much that the Heat have that the Sixers don't. I agree. Right? And Daryl really needs to hit on second round picks in the next couple of years. Yeah, he does. And what do, like, and oh, this is where I'll talk about the Nets. Mm-hmm. The Nets really hit on their second round picks this year and their yeah, undrafted they picks. They, yeah, they David have. Duke, you know, again, I'll say it every time, the most unfortunate name in the NBA. 
David Duke is a good player. Kessler Edwards is a good player. Dayron Sharp, who they got at the end of the first round, is a good player. He's probably going to be pushed out of the rotation now that Drummond's there. But that's good that he got this experience in the middle of the season. Cam Thomas, another end of the first round pick. He is killing it, and he is probably going to take a more active role. Well, he'll probably get pushed Mm -hmm. more to the sideline too now that they have Seth Curry. But it's like, again, these guys all got experience. Kessler Edwards is going to be starting for them. I will say, like, if Joe Harris is hurt and yeah, I'm praying for Joe Harris, man, because that's yeah, it's a lot surgery surgery on the same ankle twice, which we didn't talk about. That's um, that's scary. (laughs) It's scary. And, you know, Alex, I think when you're looking at Brooklyn's, I agree with you. That's to me, that's where Sean Marks is getting enough credit, man. You know, we want to talk about the stars all day long, but man, look at how he's developing, nailing the moves around the margins, getting a really good scorer in Cam Thomas. And I do not think it is a slight that Sharp will may not be involved in the rotation as much. I think they absolutely see long-term plans with him. There's a reason they were trying to get off Claxon at the deadline. They, th- they think Sharp is a good piece. And as and as he should, very good roller. I like what he can bring to the table. And and Edwards is I, what a find by the Brooklyn front office, giving him just this nasty shooting and length on defense. I I really like what they were able to set uh, in terms of the second round picks. And Philadelphia at this point, you know, they are a team that that wants to try to go fetch for stars or fetch for decent role players in free agency and. You know, even like you talked about with Brooklyn, if Kessler Edwards is a starter. Okay, well, the thing with the the starters is like, you know, for example, who's to say, like, I mean, a report is being out there. It's being floated out that Ben Simmons is coming back literally tomorrow. Like tomorrow, this pod's on a Thursday. He could be involved with the team tomorrow. Now, we can talk about whether that's okay or not, but we know know that he's on the team tomorrow, which makes you wonder, who? Is a free agent not going to be a is a buyout player not going to be slightly intrigued by that? And can it? No, I'm not saying it's going to just they're going to get a starter in the buyout market. But Nobody do I think does. it can? But do I think it can help the band aids of that three position if Joe Harris is not there? Probably, probably because I've got enough versatility with Durant and Simmons. I've got so I to me I, I I really like what they're doing and they're setting themselves up for a nice window and you know. I think it's one of those things where if they obviously you want to get to the championship, you have Kevin freaking Durant, but you know, it's not the end of the world. In my opinion, if you are not in that conversation, at least for this season, my thing is, is they cut a guy that was really helping them in Deandre Bembry. I agree with that. And I didn't, they cut him to make space for the move on the Mm -hmm. roster. I think Okay, first of all, I need to address the elephant in the room because nobody seems to be talking about it. There are strong, like, there were strong hints in a Ramona Shelburne story earlier in the year that Ben Simmons is unvaccinated. And there's a chance he might not be able to play in home games like Kyrie Irving can't. Now, I can't say for sure, but that concern for me is there. And if I see him playing home games, that's great. They need someone to play home games. But there's a real shot they go like half their games. Let me pull up the standings real quick because I'm sure I wonder how many games they have left on the road. So, okay. So the Nets have played 54 games and they've played 28 games on the road. So that means they have 13 home ga- 13 road games left. Yeah. And so that means there are going to be 
15 <laughs> home games. That's more home games than road games where you don't have Simmons or Kyrie. Now, I don't know if he is unvaccinated. I like, you know, just for the sake of him being able to get on the court. I hope he is. But that's that's a concern I have. Right. Yeah. But if he can play. I really want to see him next to KD because KD and Simmons to me is a very intriguing combination and he can, you know, Simmons can do all the dirty work. Simmons can, you know, run the fast break, set people up, you know, just get a lot of dunks. Right. Mm -hmm. But is he willing to do that? He's never, ever set screens in his life. (laughs) He's never, you know, like, he does a good job of rebounding. He does a good job of assisting. You know, Caleb, I told you last year in the regular season, he can't dribble straight to the basket, right? Like he can't no. line drive to the basket. He has to go side to side laterally. That's a concern for this team who probably could mm-hmm. use some more rim pressure. So I, I think getting something for Harden instead of nothing is good, right? Mm-hmm. That being said, I feel like a lot of how we talked about Ben Simmons in the past is more about the Ben Simmons in theory than the Ben Simmons in practice. Yes. And I want to see this Ben Simmons in practice. I want to see him with Katie. Obviously Katie is going to be out past the all-star break. So, you know, there's a chance they only get like 20 games together, (laughs) which could also be a bad thing. I don't know. You brought up (laughs) the Harden trade and how it'd be a disaster if if they don't win a championship in the next two years, same thing goes for the Nets. And I know they've had a really turbulent year, but they built this team and everyone's just like writing them in for the championship. And Caleb, it's just like, they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, two top 15 guys in their prime. And obviously the Kyrie thing, it's in his control, but I don't really feel like talking about that. You know, Mm -hmm. this situation it just feels like they should be more of a threat for the championship than they are. And I don't know. I don't think this move pushes them over the finish line. I really don't. I don't know if it, I don't, to be honest, I don't really know if it was intended to. Right. I think the, I think like you said, it was just trying to get something for something before it was going to be too late is because it seems like the whole idea was that he was going to leave and it is what it is. I think, I get what you mean. I, I, I agree with you. The pressure, there's obviously pressure on there. But like when you pick up a guy like Simmons, Alex, I mean, you you have the luxury of like when you're looking at a guy like James Harden, like how much miles, like really, really prime miles does this guy have left in him and load? I mean, when you've got a guy like Simmons, who's as young as he is, who has his, who has as high potential as he does as he still does, I think that is important to consider. I'm not saying I agree with you, you know, in terms of the practice, I want to see it in practice, but we, you know, the, the potential is obviously there with this guy and what he's doing for you right now is going to be game changing for them on the defensive side of the ball. That's, that's a game changer for Brooklyn defensively. And, and when I'm looking at the Brooklyn side of things, I, I agree with you, the pressure's on them. I just believe that when I'm looking at, this situation, I think Philadelphia's got away the next two. I think Brooklyn's got three or four. I think it just, that's all it is for me. I think you, you think you just have a little more, a little more room, a little more tweaking because you have Simmons. When you're looking at Philly, it's got to be now because you, you can't, you can't afford, you can't afford this, you, what they have. You're not going to be able to pay Tyrese Maxey the money that he deserves and Thibel probably. 
and Tobias Harris's contract. You know, there's a lot of pieces to consider. That's why I think they're under a shorter, you know, time frame. And as opposed to the Brooklyn perspective, I mean, you got to do what you got to do in that situation. You can't control it. Here's an earnest question for you. And I know it's a little bit of a sidebar. We don't have to spend too long on it. Sure. Dorian Finney-Smith got a four-year, $52 million contract extension today. I was probably going to hit on that later, but now's a good time to hit on it because I have a question. Yeah. If Matisse Thibel hit the open market, is he making more than what Dorian Finney-Smith just got? I say no. Well, I mean, I would say he's looking at probably that much money, but man, that feels like a steal. At most. At most. At most. But like Finney, like... Finney Smith's deal I thought was awesome for the Mavs. I thought it was a very team-friendly deal. (laughs) Well, yes. Finney Smith probably should have gotten paid more, right? He took. You're right. He took a very team-friendly deal, but good for Dorian for getting paid. You know, never want to discourage a basketball player from getting paid. Absolutely. Tyrese Maxey is going to be interesting Mm -hmm. because I think he'll helm the non-James lineups, but the Mm non-James lineups, the touches are probably going to all go to Embiid. So... I don't know where he fits in on this. Plus you have Tobias Harris, who's still there. Tobias Harris to me will forever be a third option. And I, I'm just really curious to see where he stacks up on this pecking order, but I, that'll be questions that we'll answer later. You know, there's so many questions leading from this and we're going to wrap up the podcast on an Eastern conference question. So we'll save that for later. I mean, any last thoughts about this trade before we move on to the Blazers blowing it up? <laughs> from the from the Sixer from the Sixers perspective, I, I I know a lot of it was from the Nets. The Sixers perspective, I mean, Alex, I agree with you. The Maxi part of it is you really don't want to ruin that guy's development. I mean, you know how I feel about the way Max is playing. I'm completely higher on him than most people because I just think he's, I think he's really, really good. And, but and a lot of that had to do with opportunity with the ball. And I, you know, that, that opportunity is going to significantly lessen when you have a guy of James Harden's caliber and of James Harden's playing style. And I just wonder, like you said, can we see some of that growth? Can we see the assist numbers continue to increase? I don't think we probably do. And that's because of the adjusted role that he's going to have. To have. And, you know, even when you were talking about Tobias Harris, I mean, I honestly think he's going to be a really good option for Philadelphia with the way they're going to play. I kind of think that the way that he can set himself up as a decent shooter, you know, he's not going to be ass like, because like you said, Alex, he was always the quote unquote third in the pecking order. But the difference was his second guy had a tough time scoring 25 when it mattered. Now he's got a guy who could score 25 at his sleep. And so Harris then can get that 16 to 18. And when and, and you go look at his career and the track record of his career, when he scores about 16 to 18 points a year, that's a really, really efficient and really high level borderline all-star player. That's what I like out of a third option, especially if I got a guy like Maxi playing the way he is. Yeah, that's a really I wanted to say Tobias will probably look better next to Harden and mm-hmm. <laughs> Joel having you're right, being the third option instead of he was ostensibly the second. He really wasn't yeah. the second option this year, but that's because Tobias plays a weird game. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not the biggest fan, but I think he'll look a lot better next to two stars. Yeah. But if that's all we have for the 76ers and the Nets, I think we hit on a lot there. We spent yeah. <laughs> basically a half hour on that, but that's the biggest news in the NBA. It's yeah. not often a time. Like, 
if you think about it, Caleb, right? None of the top 10, except for James Harden, have changed teams since before COVID hit. No. Like, obviously, Steph and Jokic and Embiid have never changed teams, and Luka, right? Mm -hmm. Jimmy and KD uh, left in 2019. LeBron left in 2018. So we've had a lot of, you know, superstars in the same place for the last, you know, five years, like for the last four seasons. Totally. And like, I don't think any of those guys are going to be leaving in the next couple of seasons, but you never know. It'll be an interesting thing to monitor as we go along. But Caleb, it is time to move on to the team that is most blatantly trying to tank in the league, the Portland Trailblazers. So they've made, they made three moves this week (laughs) and I don't understand any of them. The first move, which JD and I already talked about, but it's worth mentioning anyway, to look at the whole picture of what the Blazers have done. The Clippers received Robert Covington and Norman Powell. The Blazers received Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, and a future second round pick. The Pelicans, received CJ McCollum, Larry Nance Jr., and Tony Snell. The Blazers received Josh Hart, Tomas Sederanski, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Didi Luzada, a 2022 protected first-round pick, and two second-round picks. And then they flipped Nikhil Alexander-Walker for Joe Ingles, Elijah Hughes, and a second-round pick. The Jazz also got Juancho Hernan Gomez, and the Spurs got Tomas Sederanski. (laughs) So... They walked away with four really good players, right? Four players, I would say, are in the top 150 of the league comfortably, right? And and Nance is obviously the worst of those guys, but still, he's, I'd say, last year was a top 150 player. Mm -hmm. They walked away with one first and three seconds, and they walked away with Keon Johnson, too, who was the 21st pick in the last draft, so they got a young player, and they got another young player, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, but they flipped him. So I guess they got six second rounds, six second round picks. Caleb, it doesn't feel like they got a lot for a lot of good players. And I'm wondering why you think that is. They were too stubborn. They were too stubborn and they were too stubborn in the fact that, you know, this was a team that, that, uh, you know, felt like after they, they got to that Western conference finals, you know, that they could continue to be on that trajectory and on that ceiling. Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is they have not been able to get out of the first round the last couple of years. This is a team that's been miserable and they, they haven't done anything about it. And then some of that is because, and I'm not going to blame the new front office. I'm going to blame, you know, Olshay really, that I'll say did a lot of this. It forced the hands of the new front office to try to recover the mistakes that he constantly made. He constantly made it Two first round picks for Robert Covington mistake. I would argue that's a mistake. You know, we, I mean, I understand he was good at the time they had him, but mistake. And then you look at like, you know, what, what they were able to get. I mean, CJ McCollum, you know, they waited, they just waited too long. The league is too good in guard depth and they're going to come out of this, Alex, with, I mean, it came out of it, in my opinion, with really nothing to build on. And I, tra- and I, and I, and I traded away a guy, a franchise icon in CJ McCollum, a guy in Larry Nance, like you said, I think it's a very good point. They made a move in the off season, I believe with the intention of trying to keep him around, make him a big valuable piece of their core. I don't ever really feel like he was. I don't feel like they ever made him that. So it's like they didn't take advantage of him when they when they could have. And, you know, when I when I look at this foundation, I see a guy, Anthony Simons, who's been playing well as of late, 
Uh, Nasir Little, who I think is was a solid young prospect. I like Keon Johnson. I think Keon Johnson's a really nice piece, but I'm not going to call him a star, Alex. He's, he's just a DC. He's a good young piece. He, you know, but I wouldn't even put him like on the Duarte level. Like I, I'd put him a little bit below that. Now, again, it's not a bad player, but really, you traded a franchise level guy, in my opinion, for McCollum, guy who made shots for you, shots after shots. You traded Walker. I don't understand that. To me, it was a weird deadline because. They just, they just, they really waited too late. Their organization waited too late. And because they waited too late, they got pennies. They got pennies on the dollar. And, and to me, that, that, that's really the, the summary of all of it. Because now, Alex, I mean, when I'm looking at who they picked up, you know, if, if, if you had to give me their lineup starting five with the pieces they have, what is that? What what is that? Do you know what that is? Do do we know what that is? What their starting five would look like with the trades that they've made now? They don't have any forwards on this team since not no. hurt, and they traded away all their forwards. So right now, Josh Hart would probably be their starting power forward, <laughs> 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 which is a sad state of affairs. And yeah, they didn't get any size back in these deals, right? I mean, Justice Winslow, but I don't think he's. They're probably going to cut him. Um, hell, Wancho would have been, you know, useful just to sop up some forward minutes. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't get him. Elijah Hughes, from my understanding, is a guard. So I don't understand. Like, everything you said makes complete sense, right? They waited too long. You know, Covington was an expiring contract. Norm Powell is a lot more valuable to a contending team than he is to a rebuilding team. And the Blazers just are a rebuilding team. Mm -hmm. That being said, the Blazers did beat the Lakers last night (laughs) with LeBron at 80 healthy and CJ Ellaby playing 43 minutes. Just, Oh God, what a disgrace the Lakers are. Any chance to crap on them that I get, I'm going to take. And that is a worthy shot of doing that. But I, I didn't understand it. Um, apparently CJ came out and said that he kind of chose the Pelicans as a place he wanted to be chose New Orleans, which, you know, good for them by doing for doing right yeah. by a guy who's been there for nine seasons. Right. Yeah. Like good for them. Yeah. They should have traded him three years ago. Like you yeah. said, they yeah. should have like, it's funny because Paul Allen the year before, like when they got swept by New Orleans, I heard, I don't remember who told this story, but I heard it. Paul Allen, the year they got swept by New Orleans came in and wanted to make sweeping changes to the team, right? He wanted to blow the whole thing up. He was so angry. Then what happens before the offseason? Paul Allen dies. <laughs> and Jody Allen, his sister, takes over the team, and she's takes a mostly apathetic approach to the team. And when she takes an apathetic approach to the team, they kind of slack off, and they become... They get to the conference finals in 2019, but Olshay kind of increases his power over the organization even more than he already had. And then we see what happened the last three years where Olshay thought he was God's gift to basketball. He wasn't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, he had a lot of pride in drafting CJ. He had a lot of pride in drafting Dame, even though people said it was the other GM's scouting reports that led them to drafting Dame (laughs) because he didn't join until draft time Olshay in 2012. Right. So, they just made a lot of mistakes. They shouldn't have traded two first round picks for Robert Covington. That was probably one of the bigger ones they made. And I, you know, I'm the biggest Robert Covington guy that pick they traded for Larry Nance. Chicago has one of the most valuable picks in the league right now. 
And I'm surprised they didn't cash it in. We'll talk more about that later. Mm -hmm. But that pick from Portland, Caleb, is like lottery protected. And the protections decrease every year until like 2028. So the the Blazers can't trade any first round picks right now. They're just in a real state of disarray. And I don't. (laughs) This isn't good. It's not. It's it's not good. If you're going to tank. You know, I hate the way the Thunder are going about it. But look at them, right? They're stockpiling young guys. Look at the way the Rockets are going about it. The Rockets are chock full of fun young guys, right? Like KJ Martin, I love him to death. He's probably not going to play more than five years in the league, right? Just being realistic. If he does, you know, I'll be happy for him because I like watching him play. Just being realistic, he's probably not going to last more than five years, but he gets a shot, right? You take shots on young guys, and this team just has no young guys to speak of. No, they don't. They don't. And, 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 you know, if you would sit there and argue Anthony Simons, I would say, sure, he's young, but his contract's going to come up. And then he really isn't that young. <laughs> I mean, you, you look at his age and you're like, yeah, he's young. But if you look at the books that are going to suggest that, you're not going to look at a very young player because of the way that, you know, he was drafted at such a young age and, and so on and so forth. But I, the, from the Blazers' perspective, I just, I, I mean, I would have thrown it all in. I mean, that's what I would have done. I would have just said, okay, let's dump it all. I mean, why would you just dump two thirds of it? What, what does that, I guess, what does that accomplish? If you're, I would have dumped Nurkic. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think he's a guy that they should have absolutely gotten off of. I mean, you know, that's, that's a player I would have gotten off of. And I just cannot imagine if he, if he stays, he stays. Okay. But I just can't imagine Damian Lillard staying with the roster construction is currently, I, I can't imagine it. If, if they want him to stay uh, in my personal opinion, they should have went out and got Jeremy Grant. They didn't do that. Why didn't they do yeah. that? I, I don't, again, I don't know. I'm, apparently the two of them really liked playing with each other. So like, again, why, why are you trying to address that? It just doesn't make sense to me. They, they aren't, they, they are not, they didn't do anything in my opinion to help their star player. They didn't do anything to get them better in the future. And they didn't do anything to get them better right now. And that's why you make trades. That is a really, that's a really good way to put it. And let's real quick, let's talk about the jazz and the blazers. We don't really need to talk about the Spurs end of this. The Spurs we'll talk about later (laughs) because they kind of were active in a way they haven't been, but Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the Pelicans real quick. Mm-hmm. So they get CJ McCollum, they get Larry Nance, they get Tony Snell. Um, Larry Nance it announces have has knee surgery, and I don't know when he'll be back. Um, that's going to be a bummer for them. But their front court's pretty crowded right now, mm-hmm. so it makes sense. Josh Hart was playing really well this year, but they had the worst backcourt in the league by far. <laughs> they like. This team needed CJ McCollum more than any other team needed CJ McCollum in the whole league. That's just a fact. They really sucked in the backcourt. And I, I'm I'm being a little harsh about it, but it's just the truth. Like I know you are. I know you are. I agree. I agree. Their backcourt sucks. <laughs> and now that they get CJ McCollum, Caleb, CJ has been playing really well the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. And I like the Pelicans right now are the 10th seed. And I don't think there's like them in Sacramento are going to be gunning for the 10th seed. I think there's a good shot. That the Pelicans pull off because Ingram is by far the best player on either of the two teams between Sacramento and New Orleans right now, right? I think Jonas Valanciunas is playing amazingly. Herb Jones is going to make an all-rookie team, right? If this was any other year, Herb Jones would be all-rookie first team. 
but he is incredible for a rookie. Mm-hmm. And Caleb, I just feel like the Pelicans are in a really good spot Love to grow here. And they added some nice veteran leadership <laughs> to a team that needed mm-hmm. that and backcourt help. I feel like this is a win-win for them really in all ways. Win for them now, win for them in the future, win for them because they got the best player. Win, win, win. I mean, and and the insane part to me, Alex, is I mean, you know, for the most part, I don't I I mean, yeah, I'm making a lot of these deals that they made. I mean, they didn't give up anything super substantial. They didn't they didn't make gigantic, you know, crazy moves. I mean, they just they simply went out and you know, got themselves a really high level guard who's made big shots and big moments. And if he doesn't work out the way his contract is set up allows them to get off it. If he's not what they want him to be, it allows them to get off it. If Zion's like, I want to have, you know, somebody else here, or I'm going to go myself. It gives them another direction. They still have like everything open with, with this move. And all they did was just put themselves in a better position to get the plan. Zion comes back this season. You're looking at, you know, a really solid core of players in, in McCollum, in Ingram, and in Zion. And I, as far as I'm concerned, I think their wing depth, particularly the forward depth, is disgustingly good. When you're looking at Herb Jones, you're looking at Trey Murphy, that's solid wing depth. That's good, you know, guys you can use consistently. And like you said, the backcourt was was not very good. Uh, they, they were not they, – they don't – I just would say they didn't have like a – a number one guy, locking in guy in their backcourt. Uh, I think Tyler Lewis is fine. I, I like him. Uh, but, yeah, at this point, he's not, you know, going to be a star necessarily. And, you know, they got a lot of guys who are just kind of at the fringe of, like, yeah, what is he? Does he even deserve, like, consistent playing time? Or is he need to be out the league? They had too many guys like that. And and now with McCollum, they just solidify something, which is better than nothing. And, you know, the, the fact that you can solidify with McCollum gives you a, a great uh, ability to, like you said, get to the plan. I, I think they've got a really good shot at it. Um, you know, I think defensively, especially, you know, in the backcourt, maybe not going to be the greatest thing ever. But who's to say you can't? I mean, there's plenty of teams that win with a high level rate of offense and trash defense. And, <laughs> and, and I think I think that's very possible. The Pelicans do that. And. Yeah, and that's, I think, why you do this move. So right now, the Pelicans are 22 and 32. The Blazers are 22 and 34, but that's surely going to drop. The Kings are 21 and 36. So the Kings are two and a half games behind um, New Orleans right now. And the Kings, I, I think we both agree, are their main competition for the 10th spot after. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about San Antonio, but I, I, yeah. I was not a fan of their, um, their day today. Mm. And... Caleb, I just feel like they've solidified their 10th spot. And the other team the Blazers traded with, that's of note. Because, again, we'll talk about the Spurs later. Yeah, They traded with the Jazz. They gave them Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And then the Spurs gave them Wancho. I don't understand why, if you're a team like the Blazers, you give up on a guy like Nikhil Alexander-Walker. He had one more year left of team control. You know, he was going to be extension eligible, eligible, but you are not in a position, Portland, where you can just be giving away young guys like this. <laughs> That's just not a place that you're in. You can't it's just laughable. be. It's in the jazz. You know, it's a really good shot by them to get, 
you know, obviously that's not the way I would have used Ingles contract, but that's probably the only way they could have. Um, I just feel like <laughs> in terms of, I'm trying to find the right way to phrase this. It's just dumb franchise building, right? You are a small market team. You need to build your, you need to build your team through player development. You need to take chances on guys. And Nikhil Alexander Walker has a lot of potential. If he ever starts making shots, he's going to be a lethal NBA player, but there's just a lot to work with there. And mm-hmm. I don't know if they just don't trust Chauncey to develop. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I, I just don't know why you don't take a chance on a guy like that. I really I don't, don't either. I don't either. I was at loss for words when I looked at this deal. I was like, this really exists. Like <laughs> this deal. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. The guy was a dangerous lottery talent. And it, I don't think he was ever a bad player. I think he just, you know, combination of not being able to get minutes uh, and then, you know, them not really giving him consistent minutes and then trying to find his role. And I mean, I, I get what you mean a little bit on the Ingles contract, but like for Utah, I mean, he could be a really nice, he's a really nice long-term piece for you. And, you know, Michael Con- and Mike Conley has been very good, uh, but he is aging. And, you know, who's to say that that might not be a spot where you could see uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker take control of uh, here, you know, maybe next year in a couple of years. I, I could certainly see that. And so with, with Utah, to me, it's, I just they they made a they they didn't give up anything substantial. They still got most of their core, but they made the moves around the margins they needed to make. Um, I'm not the biggest Juancho Hernan Gomez guy, but I think he's a really solid player for them depth wise. Like I, you know, you you know, most of the time when I think of Utah in big stretches on defense was like a ton of a ton of Royce O'Neal. And then you're having Bogdanovich be the second guy, which, you know, I think outside of the Indiana year, I just think the defense has been been off with Bogdanovich. That's putting it kindly. Yeah, Hernan Gomez just gives you a just a better dose of that. Another body you can throw, which I just frankly don't think Utah has had in the wing. And I, I think he gives you that. I think that's good for them. I don't think they need a guy who can go 25 minutes. I just think they need a guy who can go 15 minutes for them, depending on the matchup, and, and put some less pressure on a guy like Bogdanovich. You know, and, and an unbelievable move from Utah and almost unexplainable from the Blazers. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's, it's, so, it's so ridiculously stupid. I mean, you cannot sit here, Alec, and, and trade a guy like this. I mean, I cannot get over it. I mean, for crying out loud, I mean, you traded for a guy that, as far as I'm concerned, should be cut in Elijah Hughes. And you, you went out and you just, you, to me, they, again, you're trying to build a team up and you're trying to build a team for the future. And I don't, see how trading Nikhil Alexander-Walker, which honestly, Alex, I think if you and I ranked after so after they do the first deal, if you said to me, okay, who's your top five trade assets? Like your top five guys, like your, your five guys that like you want to have for the future of Portland. Nikhil Alexander's in that five, right? Pretty yeah. confidently? Yeah. Pretty confidently. Like, you, just don't tra- you just don't trade that. Like, <laughs> and, and he's probably high up on that list as well. I would say he's high up on the list and you trade him. And so I, I just, to me, I, I'm at a loss for words. And I think Utah did a great job taking advantage of a pathetic uh, decision by ownership and a pathetic decision by a front office, because it, I think Alexander Walker could be really, really sneaky good for Utah and make a 
big difference for them like now yeah i think that's a really it's going to be interesting to watch how he does in utah i mean it's going to be something to monitor for the rest of the year unfortunately we need to move on to the indiana pacers because we're still we still have a few teams to go (laughs) actually we only really have two more teams to go but we also have the four team trade to discuss so there's there was a lot that happened today and this week so the Pacers this week, they traded away Karis LeVert on Sunday, right before they played Cleveland. So he didn't have to go very far um, to get to where he needed to go. But Karis LeVert was sent to the Cavaliers with a 2022 second round pick for Ricky Rubio, a 2022 first round pick, and then a 2022 second round pick from Houston, and then a 2027 second. And then the Pacers traded... Domas Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, and a 2027 second round pick for Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Tristan Thompson. And then they today they traded Tory Craig for Jalen Smith and a future second round pick. Um let's start with the Levert trade. I already talked about the Levert trade with JD, but what were your reactions to the Levert trade for both sides? Um I like it from the Cleveland perspective because I just don't think you're damaging an insane amount in the long term. I don't think you're damaging anything to like, I mean, I, when I look at the Cleveland Cavaliers and I think about them in this current moment, tough for me to see them making the finals. Tough for me to even see them making the conference final. Maybe they get a nice stretch here in the next 15 games, but you know, he's, that's kind of how I see it. Right. When you got a guy like, you know, Cleveland, when you when you're when you're in Cleveland situation, you've got all these young guys, but you really just want to make sure you're putting the pieces together. Here's the not going to be that crazy expensive for them. Apparently, they want they're talking an extension. They want to have that extension. If they want to have that extension, I bet it pro- I, surely it won't go twenty mil. You don't think it'll go twenty mil, right? So, like, I mean, that's that's a solid deal. That's a solid deal for the Cavs. Gives them something to work with moving forward. And from the Pacers' perspective. I just think this was a guy that they didn't envision in their long term. Uh, I think they kind of gave last year as an opportunity to see, okay, can this guy really be trusted? Can this guy really be somebody that, you know, our front office can trust and depend upon as we move into the future? And I, I don't believe they could say that given his injury history. And I think the, the Pacers just said, we'll, we'll calculate these picks. We'll take that lottery protected. We'll take that high second. We'll get that second from Utah and we'll just get off Rubio Sorry, by the end of the year. Plain and simple. Free up that money. Get yourself an opportunity to go out and get some guys next season or, you know, be able to get even more draft picks. Uh, I love the flexibility this, this gave Indiana and Cleveland made enough of a move to me to stay competitive and not lose stuff. I mean, you know, I wish Chicago did something. We'll talk about that. But man, like Cleveland just stayed with everybody. They didn't just not do anything. And that, that was good. I, I didn't think they needed to go make that massive deal. They just needed to do something a little bit. thought they did that. I, that's a really good point. Um, I really like them getting, in essence, you know, two first round picks. I know, Absolutely. you know, it's a second round pick, but it's going to be a really high second. And we see a lot of contributors get picked in that 30 to 35 range, right? And I think that's going to be something to watch out for. They had the right approach compared to the Blazers because their future is looking really bright. They're going to have two first round picks, you know, probably one in the 20s. And then obviously you would hope a top five pick. Nothing's guaranteed with the new lottery odds. Yeah. But it's going to be interesting to see that. And then 
this next trade where <laughs> they like I'm not gonna say they robbed the Kings because Domas is very good. Yeah. But getting Tyrese Halliburton was such I don't think anybody saw that coming. Right? He's a really good young guard. He's a really good young player. And Domas is 25. He's in his prime. But I didn't understand before I meander on and there will be a little nice surprise in this segment that we have. But what did you think of this? This trade was weird. What did you think of this trade? Super weird. Um, Because I, like you said, there's so much unexpected thinking about Halliburton and you're thinking about, you know, if you're looking at the Kings and you're stacking above long-term, you know, he's a top piece for a lot of people in terms of how you would want to move the future, especially with the steam control. And so to get rid of him for Sabonis, um, it, it pleasant just shocks me. Like, I think Sabonis is a fine player. I don't think he's a bad player. He's a two-time all-star, nothing to slouch at. I just, but I think Halliburton could be a top 30 player. And I think that that right there alone is just huge for a team that's trying to rebuild. I mean, that's not many times you're going to get that type of player by trading a guy like Smonis with with all due respect and, and, and to be frank, his limited skill set. And when you when you look at what, you know, the Pacers were also able to do, I mean, they get I mean, Carlisle likes shooting. And, you know, I've, I've gone on the record before and said I'm not a big buddy Hill guy. But, you know, I mean, last couple of years, he's he's made me. You know, flip my switch a little bit. I, I, I like him. I like him. I, I think he's, he's, he's got a lot. I never thought of, I'd see the day. He's gotten a lot better over the last couple of years. And, and I, I'm okay with that. I just, I think he's, I think now with him being on a new team, I think we're going to see a player that's more committed and under great coaching and not pathetic coaching. You're just going to see an overall better player. And so I'm excited about him going to Indiana. I think with being under Carlisle and just a better overall situation, it's going to be the player that I thought he would be heading in to the NBA. And, you know, from the Kings perspective, getting Sabonis, I mean, they clearly want to try to get a plan. I mean, that's, that's where my brain went to. They want the plan. They want to kind of assure themselves a plan. Uh, and I think Halliburton, very good player, but he would not assure you of a plan. I think Sabonis gives you probably a little more leverage in the sense of, I think he would give you more assurance of getting to that plane. And I mean, we saw the impact that he made in his first game, just the the type of playmaking, what he's going to be able to do with their cutters and athletically, uh, you know, I think he'll make uh, May two really good uh, for Sacramento. There's a lot of pieces I really like for them now with Sabonis in play. So I I think it's going to change the Kings identity a little bit. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing uh, because I feel like they've been trying to go, you know, Gentry's trying to get that certain pace going. And now I think when you got a guy like Sabonis who can pass like that, it's going to, things are going to get faster specifically in the half court. And I think that'll be, that's where I think they've needed to make that step as an organization because they've always, I mean, Fox is always a full court, full court guy. But if you can pick up things a little more in the half court, use that Davion, use Davion Mitchell to take a roll, use De'Aaron Fox to pick a roll and allow them with the Harrison Barnes of the world, the holidays, the lambs, list goes on. They've got good cutters and they got good slashers. So I, I, I don't hate the basketball move of Sabonis. I just hate what it does for the Kings in the long term. I have to say too, looking at what they got, and we'll talk more about the 14 trade later, but what they got for Bagley, 
I would say they came out pretty well in that four team deal as well. Getting Josh Jackson, getting Trey Lyles, you know, those guys aren't like standout names, but they fit next to Sabonis, right? Like Trey Lyles is kind of that, you know, shooting big man. You'd want to play next to Sabonis. He can't play defense either, right? This Kings team isn't going to get any stops. My biggest thing is Rashawn Holmes factor of it all. Mm -hmm. I would say Rashawn Holmes was their fourth best player. And I don't really think that's a discussion. Like Rashawn Holmes is a top 100 player in the NBA. I, again, yeah. I don't think there's a discussion about that. Mm-hmm. And my thing is I like Sabonis. You know, I love Sabonis's game. You know, I've been a skeptic of how you build around him and win a championship with him mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah. And I, I was building an NBA team, right? Give me the guy who can switch on the perimeter. Give me the guy who rolls hard to the basket. Give me the guy who has a 16 footer so he can space the floor a little bit. Right. He's Mm -hmm. not like he's not Brooke Lopez out there, but he's got game out to 16 feet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't understand why the Kings would be like, you know, let's go ahead and play Domas next to Rashawn Holmes. I it's baffling. Right. It, It doesn't make sense mm-hmm. <laughs> and to give up Tyrese Halliburton right who has preternatural feel for the game like that dude is so smart and it's rare you see a rookie come in like Bogdan Bogdanovich was you know a three-year NBA vet he was you know really good his last season in Sacramento yeah. right Tyrese came in and just basically replaced all his production and just was like, hey, I'm just going to be Bogdan Bogdanovich, which is crazy. Bogdan Bogdanovich has been playing forever. He was playing pro basketball in Europe before he got to the NBA. And then he, you know, he came to the yeah. NBA. He was a pretty good contributor right away. It's mm-hmm. rare to see guys from college at 20 years old come in and be contributors right away. And that's what Halliburton was. That's why I don't understand the trade. It's he's been a little overrated i'd say the last couple of days by the basketball media right i, I think that. it's like one of those things where basketball people say you know oh tyrese halliburton's so good but i think what I you said that. what mm-hmm. you said where what basketball people let me finish that point because i didn't finish making it basketball mm-hmm. people say he's so good to prove they're smart right mm-hmm. i think a lot of basketball media people do that what you said though isn't off base at all i'm not going to say top 30 he could easily be a top 50 player. Sure. And by the end of his rookie contract, he probably will be one. <laughs> like, yeah, he can shoot. He can yeah. dribble. He can pass. He has everything you want in a point guard and point guards don't need to play defense, right? Point guard defense. They need to try, but more often than not, a point guard is going to die on a screen. Yeah. That's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I want to see how he develops in this Pacer system. They didn't trade Turner. Which I'm surprised. No. Yeah, I agree. They kept Turner, and they kept a lot of guys on their team. So it's going to be interesting to see where, like, what developed they take the team now. I think, I think Tyrese isn't good enough to carry the team to wins right the second. So no. they're gonna they're gonna finish in the you know with the top five lottery odds, hopefully. And even if they finish, like, even if they slip in the lottery standing, it's, it'll be the highest they've picked since the '80s. <laughs> Yeah. So, and and I, I just think that you know, with a team like in a franchise like this, they've always been so. Hey, we're just, you know, we're just going to get to the playoffs. Our generation has not seen many playoffs without the Indiana Pacers. 
True. I mean, that number is probably maybe I would, I don't know. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I would say it's a very slim number. It's less than and 10. It's less than 10. Absolutely. And, you know, when I think of the Pacers and, you know, them embracing it, I think this is, it's fine. I think somehow, some way somebody said, Hey, uh, you know, if you do this, it's okay. Um, you know, you don't have to do this for five years or six years. You don't have to do what Philadelphia did. You don't, you know, in terms of the process and the whole nine yards, it's just a different way of going about basketball. They kept trying to retool for so long and it just, it just, it pan, it fanned out, you know? And, and uh, to be honest with you, Alex, I mean, I, they got, I had, there were some guys on that team that I were like, you know, I just said to myself, you just have to get off of like by the end of deadline, these guys got to go. And every single one of those guys got traded. Every single one of them. I thought holiday didn't make sense on a rebuilding team. Jeremy lamb didn't make sense on a rebuilding team. Tory Craig didn't make sense on a rebuilding team. Uh, you know, guys like that, they went out, they just said, we'll take the seconds. We've got decent wing depth. We'll take the seconds. We'll take the seconds, which, you know, I'm not a huge second round pick asset guy. But when you're looking at trading guys like Tory Craig, like, you know, so on and so forth, getting pieces like that for those guys is not a bad thing. It just you you got to take advantage of what you've given. And now you're starting to really entrust Hal Burton. And honestly, you could potentially be opening up a greater offensive role for Miles Turner, which he's, you know, thrown a lot at said, I want to have a better offensive role. Well, he's got an opportunity to really prove that Alex uh, with the decisions that the Indiana Pacers have made. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, Duarte, Duarte and Halliburton are going to be a very intriguing young backcourt for me. And I know Duarte's older, but I, I want to see how they develop. I want to see how Isaiah Jackson develops, you know, as yeah. a backup five. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even listen, Tristan Thompson, you know, he gets a lot of shit. He's a Kardashian guy, <laughs> but he's been a consummate pro everywhere he's gone. He's never complained about minutes. So I don't think it would be a bad thing to have a guy like him around the team in the last part of the season. And if they do buy him out, well, then he can go, you know, sign yeah. with a contender and probably not play. I, you know, yeah, I, I don't think it's a bad. Like, you know, my policy on this. I don't think it's ever a bad idea to have vets just around the roster. No. I think especially one with championship experience like Tristan. So yeah. I'll be really curious to see. I want to see Buddy Heald in a Rick Carlisle system. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I do too. I, I do it's, too. I, he could be interesting in that system. Yeah. Before we wrap up the Pacers, Caleb, we got a, a little clip from our friend Dylan Houston. Uh, and shout out to Dylan. He is currently, you know, at his first concert. I believe he's in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, and shout out to him. He recorded a little clip. He's going to send that in. So we are going to listen to that real quick. All right. So what a dream. Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, we manifested this. Let's be honest here. Been loving the guy for years, just uh, raving about him. And the league didn't know he's available, and yet the Pacers somehow snag him. So, pretty, pretty good grab. I mean, Sabonis, love the guy, great player, fun to watch, and hopefully he'll be good for the Kings. But you know, it's just he's too good for the Pacers. And the Pacers need to suck so they can get Jaden Ivey. 
and Tyrese Halliburton and Jaden Ivey would be a sick pairing. So looking forward to that future that's surely going to happen. And then, you know, Buddy Heald, too. I mean, great trade chip. I mean, whether they trade him now or in the summer, I mean, I think it's an awesome guy to have. Philly's going to want to get him, you know, the Mavericks, the Lakers. Like, there's going to be a lot of teams that want a guy like that. Another guy that we love and talk about a lot on the pod. So just just really happy. And I love Tyrese, and I'm hoping that he's not too good for the Pacers because the Pacers have a lot of bad teams to try to climb over for picks. Um, maybe we can just pray for a good lottery pick, but I'm happy, man. I'm pretty... I really didn't expect anything like that for Sabonis. And, hey, maybe Turner's going to stay, too. It seems like he wants to play the five. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting. I think there's going to be some moving parts still. I mean, I don't know if they're going to make any more trades. It's probably probably done for now. And, hey, if they trade Brogdon in the summer, you know, it is what it is. It's time to change things up. So I'm happy, and I'm excited for the future. Okay. So... I think we've touched on everything we needed to touch on with the Pacers. Let's go ahead and move on to the Spurs. The Spurs, you know, I brought up them. They were in the Walker trade. That's not really what intrigued me about their deadline. They had a deadline where they sent a couple of guys out and they got a couple of first round picks. So they sent um, Derek White to the Celtics, a move that I called, by the way, and I said they should do. The Spurs received Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, the 2022 first round pick protected one through 14 and swap rights on the 2022 first round, 2028 first round pick. And Caleb, I think I saw that's only top one protected. Mm. So for the Celtics, so the Celtics are like really bad in 2028. Look out. (laughs) It could be a disaster for them. Yeah. And then they traded for Goran Dragic, a 2022 lottery protected first. And then 2023 um, protected first. I'm pretty sure that's the same pick. Just those are the protections on it. Um, for Thaddeus Young, Drew Eubanks, who was cut. I'm sure you were very happy about that. And the Raptors got a 2022 second round pick from the Pistons. So really, the Raptors are moving down from like 18 to 20 range to 31. Basically, yeah. Yeah. for the right to get Thaddeus Young. Um, it feels like this is the most Spurs eye on the future we've ever seen, Caleb. We don't really get to see, you know, Spurs being like, hey, let's trade for first round picks. You know, let's try to get something of value for these guys we have. And they had a lot of guys I think they could have gotten a lot for. Right. Yeah. They probably could have gotten that Portland first round pick for Pirtle. Just saying from Chicago, Mm. they probably should have gotten that Portland first round pick from Chicago. I, I, I think that I like everything they did for the most, like Goran Dragic's surely going to get cut getting three first round picks. They just need young talent on this team, right? They just need more talent. I don't mind them taking shots on guys. How did you feel about their deadline? Um, from the San Antonio perspective, I thought, so I think, I think they're doing what the Pacers have done last three years. I think I think they're going to try to retool, 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 and I think they're going to probably make more moves in the next couple of years that are similar to this. 
because I just think they're trying. I mean, look, I mean, Murray's an all-star right now, right? I, I understand that he was replaced, but he's an all-star. Clearly, you got something going. Keldon Johnson, clearly people think high of him or else he would not have been representing the U.S. in the Olympics. You know, they got players uh, and, and they got some young pieces. I, I've always been, a, I've always liked Lonnie Walker. Uh, I think he's a really nice player. This can open up some minutes here uh, with White out of the picture. And, you know, I just, I think a lot of what they tried to do is, is, is the start of a new era in San Antonio. It's the start this whole season tracking the off season heading into the deadline is in my opinion, a start, you know, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to dump the John Murray next year, or they're going to trade Kelton Johnson next year. I'm just saying it's just the start of something. And you're not going to fully embrace it because you have Greg Popovich. Greg Popovich isn't going to fully hug around the idea of a rebuild. He's just not. Right. None of the trades they made were fully rebuild trades, but you knew they had their mind on the future. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think, I think, I think to me, it's, it's just, it's, it's almost the, the hidden, the, there's a hidden part to it. And the hidden part to it is San Antonio is going, it started that process. And to me that they needed to do that. They needed to do that for a while. Yeah. They're starting a real youth movement there. I like the second draft thing they have going on, you know, taking a shot on a guy like Zach Collins, even though I, that's probably a bad idea. Taking a shot on a guy like Romeo Langford. That's not as bad of an idea idea for them. Yeah. Like they need to be a team that's taking shots on these second draft guys. Yeah. And Josh Richardson, Josh Richardson's been good this year. I like he's that. making 40% of his threes. Mm-hmm. He's playing really good defense. I'm surprised the Celtics didn't keep him, but yeah, yeah. getting white, out of, <laughs> getting white, like you said, getting white out of there opens more opportunities for Lonnie Walker. Devin yeah. Vassell has been kind of shoved into the background. And mm-hmm. I think that dude deserves a lot more touches. I would be giving him the ball a lot. Totally agree, Alex. But I, I wanted to see them try to clear the log jam a little more, right? Uh, I, yes. they, need, they, they need to make a choice in the offseason between yes. Walker and Vassell. And I I would personally go with Vassell. I think that dude's the truth. But I think that it's not going to be a bad choice either way. Lonnie Walker's really talented. I agree. Um, from the Celtics side of this, mm-hmm. they also I didn't include this in the rundown. They traded um, Dennis Schroeder for Daniel Tice, you know, old Brad Stevens' favorite. I think Derek White for them, they have a point guard now for 48 minutes of the game between him and Marcus Smart. Something they yeah. didn't have something they didn't have before. Marcus <laughs> Smart's been really good as a point guard lately. And Caleb, I'm not saying the Celtics have been really good. Yeah. <laughs> their net rating, like I'm gonna pull up cleaning the glass real quick. They I think their net rating is like really good right now. So I would say this is kind of like a good, I wouldn't say this is all in, right? I wouldn't say getting Daniel Tice is all in, but getting Derek White and getting Daniel Tice, I think they're going to improve their defense, which is already really good. <laughs> and I really like the fit of Derek White, just another ball handler and a guy who can get you into actions. How do you like the Derek White fit in, in Boston? I really like it because I think he can run and I think he can run it. I think he can run something. I think he's a guy that, you know, he's not I'm trying to think of an example. He's not Mike Connolly. 
he's not Chris Paul in terms of running an operation, uh, but he's, in my opinion, a second or third tier guy in terms of doing that second tier guy, probably. And a very good second tier guy who understands exactly what Ime Udoka is going to want guy who, you know, has been under the uh, Udoka knows him, knows the way that he's going to want to play. I think it's a smart familiarity move, smart for your chemistry. Um, I think, I think what he'll give you as a floor general, the spot up players, make them better. I would expect better progress and, and a better, uh, Robert Williams uh, by the end of the season. And I already think he's been really good, but I already expect a way better version of that. Um, I personally expect a better version of Aaron Neesmith out of this. I think the better you, with any great player you know, in terms of a shooting skill set, having that point guard that can feed it to you in certain spots, um, it just makes the difference in the world. Boston's never had that. Neesmith, to be quite frank, never really had that. And so when you have a guy like, you know, him with his shooting, I'm intrigued to see what they do there. Um, and I just think they never got, they never kept themselves out of winning now and winning in the future, which I think Boston really didn't want to pick. And they shouldn't have to because you have two top 25 players in the NBA with Brown and Tatum. Um, I mean, yeah, you got something around that line. And when you have a when you have that, you sh you should be trying to win now. But then with their ages, you should be looking at the future. Derek White puts you in positions where you can win in the future and now. Um, I just think Boston didn't get rid of anybody significant in the long term to make their moves, and that's why I'm a huge huge fan of it. And they and you know Brad Stevens is a GM. I, you know I, he pulled the old Doc Rivers. You know, hey, you know, if you played for me before, all right, great. How about I sign you? How about I trade for you? Uh, how about I uh, trade for uh, Byron Mullins after he scored a 40 ball on me? How about I do this? How about I do that? But the guys that he did that with, I mean, are good pieces to have to your team. Daniel Tice is a fine piece. He's not, a, you know, a 10, you know, but he's a guy that just sits there and, and gives you good rotational minutes. And from my understanding, Dennis Schroeder was being a cancer into the locker room. And I just think what Boston did, it's not going to hurt them. It's going to make them, in my opinion, more tight knit. And I think it's important to have familiarity. And I understand Tatum and Brown have been in the league for a long time, been a lot of runs, but when you're still at the ages that they are, when you're constantly adjusting to different pieces, I don't think that's a good thing. And they've got a lot of pieces that somebody's got some sort of familiarity with, and that's a really good thing for Boston. That's a really good way to put it. I think that's a good note to wrap it up on. Um, Cause I think I gave all my Derek white thoughts, the next trade that we should talk about with the Spurs. And it's more about the Raptors end of it because mm -hmm. all the Spurs got out of this was just a first round pick, but the Raptors got Thaddeus young who, you know, I'm a very big fan of. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like the Raptors needed to get another guard, right? But on the other hand, part of me thinks that Pascal Siakam has been basically the backup point guard for the better part of two months. And I think going after front court depth doesn't hurt, especially when their two backup players they actually played were centers. <laughs> so how did you like the Thaddeus Young fit in Toronto? Um, I hate it, actually. Interesting. Um, I hate it because I wanted to see Thad... I want to see that in another team. And I also think that Thaddeus 
doesn't solve Toronto's issue. Toronto's issue to me wasn't about just big guy depth. That wasn't it for me. It was, if you were going to get somebody, get a actual rim protector, like get a guy who can, you know, like they were talking about with Miles Turner, Chris Zingas, go in on that. Don't go in on another six, nine, six, 10 big man. You got it. You got a Chua. Uh, you got Siakam. Uh, you got Boucher. Uh, you got Birch. I mean, those are Birch is a guy they obviously were looking to flip. But I mean, I just I don't think Toronto. I just don't understand why Toronto. I don't understand it. Toronto's not a. I don't think Toronto is in the top five when I power rank the East overall. And I traded. I would say that's right. And I traded a first round pick for a guy that's in my pecking order, like my seventh guy, my sixth guy. Really? I just, I guess I decided, I don't know. Like when I trade first round picks for guys, I guess that's my big issue. If I trade a first round pick for somebody, I either say, A, he's starting no matter what, or he fixes an obvious, obvious hole that I just can't get out of. I can't, I can't draft out of it. Uh, I've, or I've got a championship contender and it's just such a gigantic weakness. Well, Toronto, not a championship contender right now. And picking up a guy like Thaddeus Young makes no sense to me. I personally wanted to see him on Phoenix. When they had that traction for Sarge Smith in two seconds, I was sitting there like, oh, my God, you do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And it didn't happen. Uh, so I was a little disappointed that, that that deal didn't happen. I also just don't think it makes a lot of sense. I see where you're coming from for sure. I think they should have probably gone after another guard. Um Gary Trent and Fred VanVleet can only do so much. Yeah, yeah. Delano Banton um, is shaky at, at best. I don't like. They have a lot of interesting talent on this team, but Malachi Flynn is definitely a nurse's doghouse. There's no other way to say it. Yeah, he is. He um, is. And I, yeah, this team in general is just interesting. Isn't the way I'd put it. They're just like they're pesky. Yeah, they're definitely yeah. the best. Like they're the best play-in team right now. I don't really think that's a dispute. Like, yeah, the the way Fred, the way Fred and Pascal have both been playing, they're both top twenty-five players this season, right? Really I'm not good. saying over in the landscape of the league, but right now they're each the twenty in the twenty-five best guys in the league. I agree. But yeah, I totally agree with you. They're not a championship contender at all, just because like. OG can get that shot for you, right? Gary Trent has been a lot better at getting that shot for you, mm-hmm. but they don't have that guy. And until they get that guy, like it's a problem they've had for years now. Yeah. And it's funny because they have two Kyle Lowry's <laughs> in Fred Van Vliet and Pascal. Like they're very mm-hmm. clearly acolytes of Lowry to me. Now, I, I don't get it, but Hey, you know, I think yeah. in the interest of time, because we still have a lot to cover. Yeah. <laughs> we need to move on to the wizards, the wizards. I don't know if I'd say they blew it up. They traded away some guys. Um, yeah. They traded away Montrez Harrell for Ish Smith and Vernon Carey Jr. Um, Montrez went to the Hornets. Ish Smith and Carey went to the Wizards. And then in the capper of the day, one of the last trades that was announced, Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans to the Mavericks for Chris Stapps Porzingis. Um... <laughs> We don't really need to talk about that Hornets trade. I think it's interesting that they traded away one of their three centers, but then they trade for another one. 
And this log jam at center only got more jammed. I think Caleb that Kristaps. I don't think this trade was good for anybody. <laughs> I don't think I like it for anybody. The it's Mavericks a really, trade. really, really weird move. Like from the Wizards' perspective, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like you got Brad Beal, you got. I mean, they've said wants to stay. Um, even though, in my opinion. I think it's really tough to justify at this point why he would stay. But anyhow, you have you have Przingis, Bryant, Gafford, Hachimura. Depend. I kind of look at Adby as like a three-ish, four-ish. So I got like five guys for two spots. All of them under twenty-eight. All of them are twenty-eight. They're so they're not old at all. And I mean, we're just, we're looking at like sporadic playing time for each of those guys. I mean, if Washington was going to make any moves, it should have been everything. Like it, it, it shouldn't have just been for Chris Tapps Porzingis. Now, granted, I mean, I think Porzingis, I think has actually been really solid this year. The only problem is he can't stay on the court. But with, when it comes to the Washington perspective, I just think, again, I, What's your logic behind this? Are you saying that Przingis is going to be my big man moving forward, Gafford and Bryant out of the picture? Um, hi, you drafted Rui Hachimura with the top five pick. You're just done with him? I don't know if he should be a guy you just be done with. I think he's been really promising. Uh, I think I think Advi is – I wasn't huge on Advi, but you don't give up on him now. I know that. So it just doesn't make, it just doesn't really add up to me from, from that move. And then, you know, I, I think they, they just, they should have done more. They should have done more. If you were going to make one trade, you should have said, okay, let's get off of Trez. Let's get off the of KCP. Uh, let's get off of Gafford. Let's get off of, get off of pieces and just accumulate, do exactly what Indiana did. Do exactly, which I, which is weird to say, do what Indiana did, but do what Indiana did. They literally did what I think Washington should have done if they were going to do anything at the deadline. That's exactly right. Um, I, you know, personally wouldn't be like, hey, here's Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. Although it's a good thing they got off of both of those contracts, but you could like, you know, I hate engaging in a contract talk, but it, it's worth noting. Chris Asforzingis is probably on the worst contract in the league. It's a really big contract. It's horrendous and he's been hurt the majority of the time he's been on it Mm -hmm. and the Mavericks did good to get off of that but Dinwiddie has two more years left on his contract Bertans has three more years left on his contract and Bertans (laughs) was such a Carlisle player I don't know how he'll fit with Jason Kidd right like that is the definition of a Carlisle player yeah he is Dinwiddie I'll like I'm interested by him because there's something there, right? Like he's long been one of the most talented guards and not most talented, but he's long been a really talented guard in this league, right? He averaged 20 points a game for the Nets a couple times. So there's something there. I'm not going to act like there isn't something there. Um, like if he's your second unit point guard creating shots, that's great. Is he willing to do that? Mm-hmm. A fair question to ask. So yeah, I agree. 
I don't know how this benefits. I mean, it benefits the Mavericks, but Chris Stapps was playing really well this year. He's playing very well. And I know he's hurt right now, but you, I feel like your guard depth was actually the best it's been in a while. Like between. Yeah. Like Brunson is playing well this year. Maybe they're not trying to pay Brunson. If that's the case, why didn't they trade him? That's, that's, that's literally what I was about to say. Um, Alex, when I, when I looked at this deal from the Dallas perspective, I said, okay, well, Dinwiddie's proven he could come off the bench and be really effective. And, you know, he can give you really good minutes, I think, as a starter. Honestly, I think he could give that to you if you wanted it. But they, they've got now that you got you got Luca in the backcourt, right? You got Brunson in the backcourt. Uh, I think Josh Green, it's been somewhat interesting this year. You have Josh Green and now you've got the Dinwiddie piece to it. Um, now, I think it, the key for me will be can. I mean, I absolutely can't stand Bertans to the life of me, but if they can get the shot going, that he would be a very good player with Luka Dodgic. Like, I mean, I'm not going to be, I'm not ignoring that aspect of it. Like, if you could get that shooting back to where it was two years ago, because I think last year was a joke because of what he had, what he did in the playoffs. But other than that, I mean, you, you've got a, you've got a team that I think, you know, Obviously, they wanted to space the floor a little more, I think. Um, and you then give yourself the option to try to move. If you were going to, I think Dallas also looks at it as I get two trade assets rather than one. Instead of putting all the money in one guy, I can put the money in two guys. If I can put the money in two guys, two guys makes it easier. You know what I'm saying? That's the other thing I thought about as well. Um, and they didn't give up draft picks. Dallas didn't give up draft picks to get this deal done, which I think is a really big deal. I thought they would have had to attach something uh, in order for a team to take that on. Washington did not do that. So, I, I mean, I think it's honestly, it's not a bad gamble. Dinwiddie's been really good off the bench. And I absolutely hate saying it, but if Bertans gets a good shot going, he's going to be really good for the Mavericks. <laughs> It will be, it's the best for comedy if Bertans is better than Chris Stapps, strictly because of you. Because you no, will blow a gasket if he's better <laughs> than Chris Stapps for his And I will be here for that. Um, yeah, everything you said, I mean, Bertans is a really good movement shooter, right? He sucks on defense. He's, I mean, He's so let's, let's he you know, like one thing I figured out about you and our friendship is you don't like one trick ponies. Oh, and God, I'm not gonna no. I'm not gonna act like Bertans isn't a one trick pony. Like, but that one trick is very important. That being it said, is. I wouldn't have paid a bench player 15 million a year, uh, especially one who's like an eighth man at best. I. We'll be curious to see how they use him. Um, I, I think you, you have to play him next to like Kleba and yeah. Benny Smith. Like there's yeah. no other way he'll be viable to be on the floor no. or next to Powell. Right. Just like a, mm-hmm. your best defenders in a lineup. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing too. Like Powell's been a really good NBA player for a decade. Yeah, At some has. point, the magic elixir is going to wear off. Right. Like, Hmm. he's not going to be the guy you need anymore. I don't know. I feel like this is a team that would pursue Tristan Thompson in a buyout. Like if Tristan Thompson did get bought out just because like they need someone Hmm. who can defend. And I I know Tristan's Tristan's, you know, 
again, he gets a lot of shit and deservedly so. But I think he could really help the Mavericks if, you know, he was bought out. I don't I don't know. They're like buyout centers are a dime a dozen, so I don't know which way they'll go. It can't be Boban. <laughs> could you imagine a lineup with Boban and Bertans? They would get they would like, it would be it'd be so raked be through so the cold bad. It would be horrendous. Oh. It would be, be it would be be so, they'd be so give up, ethically bad. <laughs> oh, they'd give up so many points. I mean Robin Lopez, if the magic buy him out, that's a yeah. guy they they could get. They just need something at the front court, right? Like a little more depth because Moses Brown thing, I think Portland should have gone after Moses Brown. They should have been like, hey, yeah, you know, we'll take him on your hands. I mean, God knows they need the front court depth right now. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I just, I'll be really curious to see because the Mavericks have something good going. Let me check where they are. I'm, they're not fourth yet. They're two games out of fourth right now. Yeah. And getting home court against the Jazz, I would maybe favor them against the Jazz anyway. Absolutely. But, I like them. I, I, I like them at home. I think it would be interesting to see that series. But Caleb, are you ready to move through, move on to the fourteen trade? Yeah, I did. One other thing with with Dallas, though, I, I think the other reason Dallas is to me when I've ever, whenever I've watched them, my biggest frustration is they they can't they can't throw a curveball in their rotation. The last like two to three years, um, it felt like it was this. You knew who they were going to play each game. They didn't have any way to throw any curveballs at you. Be like, oh, they're going to play this guy in this series. And then they can take him out and bring in this guy. The Dallas, I think now has that. And I think that's a really, I think that's a really big deal. If you don't have a second star, you've got to be able to make teams second guess what your rotation will be against you. And I think Dallas now has that ability. So, yeah, but I'm ready to go. Okay, so it's time to move on to the four-team trade. Yeah. So the Bucks received Serge Ibaka, two future second-round pick, and cash mm. consideration. The Kings received Dante DiVincenzo, Trey Lyles, and Josh Jackson. The Clippers got Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale, and the Pistons got Marvin Bagley. I don't think I hate this trade for anybody. I feel like maybe the Clippers didn't get a whole lot back, but you know, <laughs> the Kings, I really like what the Kings got. The Bucks yeah. needed a guy like Serge Ibaka. Pistons taking a chance on a guy like Marvin Bagley the third. I feel like there's a lot of meat on this bone here. <laughs> there is. Uh, but you know, the first thing that came to my mind, Alex, I'm, I'm going to my good old analogies here. I, uh, I looked at this, this four team deal as like, if you, if you had a family, okay, and you, all of you guys wash and dry your clothes, and then there's this, you know, little pile on top of the dryer that's like, you know, basically the unknown pile, like, uh, you know, whose sock is this? Whose sock is this? And instead, I think what they did was put it all in one machine that equaled this deal. I think that's what, that's what they did. It's like, it's just like dirty laundry that nobody, that nobody knows who's who's. And I feel like for all of these teams, they just traded their laundry, Bagley laundry, Josh Jackson, Trey Lyles laundry. You know, they did it just, just reshuffling. It's like reshuffling to figure out who's it 
actually is or who do you actually believe in more than the other um i like it a lot more for the kings actually uh to take the shot on divincenzo i think that's a really really smart shot uh i mean now part of me sits there and wonders uh you know <laughs> they you know are they are they going to try to pay him are they going to try to extend him but as a player uh, i like the player uh, on the kings i think that's a that's a good solid signing and then with the Bucks situation, I guess my big thing is, I mean, do we know Serge is actually like Serge? Like, I mean, I understand he played well for like a week, week and a half, but is he actually what is kind of being talked about? Like a really trusted role player for a championship team. I just think that's a really tough expectation to set on a guy who just has not been on the court, has been completely hurt. And uh, I don't really know if he's going to do what people think he's going to do in Milwaukee. It's a fair question to ask. I mean, something is better than nothing, right? I feel like we've been saying that. Yeah. And they just needed bodies at the five. I don't really think there's another way to go like about that. And for the low, low price of Rodney Hood, Semi Ojale and Dante DiVincenzo, they got, you know, a guy who a couple of years ago was coming off of a championship as, as a viable small ball five. So I think that he's going to help them, even if it's like 50% of Serge Ibaka. I think he helps them just because they have so much margin for error on their signings. Yeah. And like the guys they bring in, Grayson Allen's playing is going to play crunch time for them. And it's not going to matter, right? Grayson Allen's yeah. going to be a regular contributor. Yeah. So. I think that it's good for them. Dante was kind of the odd man out in Milwaukee yeah. since he was, you know, for all intents and purposes, yeah. they had Pat Connaughton and Grayson Allen. Correct. So they didn't really need him. He was no. kind of superfluous there. And it's kind of funny. He was so like important in the Miami series and now he's gone. <laughs> but, and, and I think, you know, my big thing with Milwaukee and I guess, kind of the reason I'm slightly skeptical of Ibaka is I, part of me has got to think Lopez is getting bought out. Why wouldn't you bring in Lopez? Like, doesn't he give you what you need? Um, I, I guess that's my question, you know, but I mean, if you were, but either way, if they just decided, you know what, we just want to get value on Dante. Cause we're no, we know we're not going to sign him back. I guess this is how you do it. But, um, you know, that's kind of where my brain went to when the deal happened. I was like, if you're going to go get a center, if that's your reason, if that's the reasoning, they're just trying to get 15 minutes from the center. To me, why that's, that's buyout market time. You just say you're the 20, you just say you're the NBA champs. You just say you're the reigning NBA champs and you have the least amount of drama going on out of any top team in the East. You know, and <laughs> I mean, to me, it's one of those things where, um, you know, getting surge, like you said, if they can get even they need a 70 to 80 percent surge, I think, to really hit the nail on it. But for just 15 minutes of rotation, I guess I just don't understand why you're giving up any assets. But I understand some usually and Ronnie Hood are not that good. No, they are not. I really like the Pistons taking a shot on Marvin Bagley. Yeah, I yeah. thought that was like I've been talking about that for you privately for a while now. Mm-hmm. So I want to see that. I want to see how he does in Detroit. I think that'll be a real fascinating pickup for them. Um, 
any last thoughts on the four teamer? I don't like there was a lot there. I, I have to say, I brought up the Kings aspect of it earlier. Mm-hmm. They really like between Dante, Justin Holiday, um, Jeremy Lamb, and uh, Josh Jackson, their wing rotation is a lot better than it was yeah, a couple days ago. Yeah. And that's something to be on the lookout for when they're try- making that push for the 10 yes. seed. Yes. Because they are all, they look a lot better. Mm-hmm. That 10 seed looks a lot more achievable with this wing rotation than it did before. And I think they really made out good having Bagley's big salary. And I, I want to see what's going to happen with that. On to the rapid fire questions, Caleb. Yeah. So you can give like a one word answer for the team and then just like a little synopsis of what, why your thought process is that way. What team didn't make a move that you thought could have used one? Um, are you meaning big move or are you meaning like a, any kind of move? any move? Chicago, 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 I think needed to make a move, just something around the margins. Uh, I'm shocked. They, they didn't trade that Derek Jones contract. Um, I'm just shocked that they could have used that um, and just look to, to, to get someone more. I don't think Derek Jones is all that great. So to getting, getting somebody with a little more trust, a little more reliability. Um, I think they're not love to be wrong. Cause I think it's a cool story, but I think they are not a buyout destination. So I think their team is what it is and will be that way till the end of the season. And I just feel like, you know, if you're in a race with all of these Eastern conference teams and you didn't do anything and you're the one that's kind of the most unexpected, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me why they didn't at least try to do something. Yeah. And in a similar vein, now this might be like a little bit of a weird answer. I'm going with Miami because they made that trade with, the Thunder yesterday hmm. and Casey Okpala and they basically freed the restrictions on that pick so they could trade their first round pick. I'm really surprised they didn't use it. Like this team is going for a title and this is their yeah. best window. I don't think it's close. Kyle Lowry's yeah. old. Jimmy Butler is getting up there in age and he has a lot of Tibbs, Tibbs minutes on him. Yeah. So I don't understand why they didn't go for it. That's Which a player? Really good point. Who's a player you're surprised didn't change teams? Um, I got one. If you want to, you know, yeah, go ahead. I've got a couple that come to mind. I got a couple. Okay. That come. Eric Gordon is the guy yeah. I'm surprised didn't change about teams. him too. Um, Kenrich yeah. Williams is a guy him. I'm surprised didn't change teams. Um, obviously Nurkic. Yeah. And that's a big one for me. Yeah. Like I'm surprised none of the magic guys got traded. That's what I was going to say. I was shocked Terrence Ross. Like that guy came to my mind was Terrence Ross. I've talked to you a lot privately about good wing depth. Um, don't really understand why a team wouldn't throw a couple seconds there. Uh, I, I I thought about him and really, you know, Eric, Eric Gordon came to my mind for sure. Um, and to be honest, Alex, I mean, part of my brain, especially with the kind of stuff we've been talking about, kind of thought Rashad Holmes might get moved. Honestly, yeah. with the way that the Sabonis deal is going to play out and the way you would ideally think it would fit, one would wonder, hey, why are you not looking to trade homes? Um, which, you know, thankfully, Charlotte didn't, you know, Charlotte and San Antonio, I guess we're engaged in that Yakapotal deal where they, you know, Charlotte was going to trade PJ Washington, Kai Jones, the first time. Th- thank goodness they didn't do that. Thank goodness. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised Pertle didn't move, but. Yeah, Pertle. Yeah. I. At the same time, 
you know, that was always going to be tough, especially when he's playing so well. Yeah. And pop, you know, we, like you talked about in the spur section, he isn't as inclined to tank. Um, I'm really surprised Taylor Horton Tucker didn't change teams. Yeah. <laughs> We've been hearing his name. And I think the biggest one, Caleb, Jeremy yeah. Grant. Jeremy Grant. Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy Grant was the name that did get traded, shockingly. Yes. And, you know, I was kind of surprised. Fournier, you know, Burks, whoever didn't get traded. I kind of wish that the Knicks just traded Cam Reddish so that we could end this charade. But who, who can really say? Yeah. And Caleb. I'd say today was about the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. So I would like you to rank these teams in terms of which is most likely to win the East in your eyes. Okay. And I rank them in order of where they are in the standings <laughs> currently. Miami, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Brooklyn. Yikes. Yikes. You're giving me the hard question. Um, I will say, um, I, 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 here's how I'd look at it. All right. I think I would have, um, I think, I think I would go Milwaukee. I would go Miami, Philly, Miami. Yeah, Milwaukee, Miami, Philly. I want to Philly, Chicago, Brooklyn. Okay. Oh wow, you're really because down I on think because I think well because I just don't know what to expect right now. It's not about what I don't think of it, and I I can sit there and give all this what ifs. I just have to see it on the court. So as of this moment, I feel like I got to give it to Chicago right now. That's all. That's you know that's fair, and I mean I do have to say though this trade I really like the way Chicago matched up with Brooklyn, and I want to see what it's like after they play Simmons because I'm not I, sure I now. Yeah, I think that's a lot harder of a matchup for the Bulls. It is hard. I would go Milwaukee first. Okay, I, that's pretty unanimous there. Yeah, I would have Miami second as okay. well. Okay, I'd have Brooklyn third. And okay. like I, okay. like I brought up earlier, yeah, they have the trio of chokers in Philadelphia, uh. like <laughs> Doc, you know, Doc Embiid. And I'm not going to put Embiid in the same circle as Doc. <laughs> but I mean, let's. You need to have Bryce listen to this specific part of the podcast. Maybe I'll, he'll be back on my side. I listen. James Harden's never done Jack in the playoffs. <laughs> and Doc Rivers, it took three top 75 players on the same team. But Doc's blown the most 3 1 leads in the history of. <laughs> The NBA. Doc has never. Doc didn't take the Clippers to the conference finals in the first year. Ty Lue coached there. They were in the conference finals. That's not a coincidence. And that's kind of my my thing with Philly. Is just I don't trust them. I don't trust them, and they haven't. I mean, Caleb, they haven't done anything to earn my trust. No. No, I get it. I get it. So, on that note, I think that's everything we have to cover. Um, Linsanity is off this week, Caleb, meaning this is the platform where you are going to give your Super Bowl prediction, if that's okay oh. with you. <laughs> oh, come on. It's all right. off Linsanity last week. I think I, it's only fair I, that I get the exclusive. You get the exclusive. I'll give it to you on the record. Um, I I got I got LA. I've been high on the Bengals. I like I like the Bengals a lot, but I'm gonna go LA. I'm gonna go LA 27 to 24. 
Over okay. I'm going Cincinnati 24, oh. LA 21. Okay. I right. think, listen, this is, this is more of a heart than head pick. You know, I, I give my basketball analysis with, you know, my head, then my heart, but mm. this is all just like all my heart. I want the Bengals to win so bad. <laughs> And like, it's not even for like, you know, my typical hater reasons. I just, I get you. I like the Bengals <laughs> and I want them to win. And it would be a really cool story. So yes, that's what we got, but make sure you check out the insanity next week. Cause I'm sure that'll be insane. Um, there'll be so much to talk about from the super bowl. Make sure you check out circle city cinema. Um, those guys are putting out great content right now. And yeah, the teams for this week, JD and I will be back later in the week. The teams are going to be actually, well, the Suns and the Pistons made trades. <laughs> the Heat didn't. So those are our three teams. Make sure you check that out. It'll be a blast. Caleb Lynn, I want to thank you so much for joining me on this very fun journey. Absolutely. It's it, it's a blast to talk through the deadline and, and talk all these moves. And everyone, I want to thank you so much for listening. 